welcome to Meanwhile in an Abandoned Warehouse. My name's Owen Kelly. And I'm Sophie Hope. And we're going to pick up the story of cultural democracy in this episode uh, at the end of the 80s. Now, as we were talking about in a previous episode, at the end of the 80s, most of the uh, original community arts movement went in one of two ways. It either went into local authorities and regional authorities where it became essentially part of the leisure departments or it just simply disappeared. And where where did it go Owen? Where where were you at the end of the 80s and um, why do you think it fractured and disappeared? Um why it fractured, as I, as I said in the previous episode, it fractured because the Arts Council successfully devolved it and the process of devolution handed it over to regional arts associations and then local authorities. And in that process, any notion of a national movement disappeared and community arts came to mean different things to different people in different parts of the country. So it became a portmanteau term that covered everything. And as I said in the previous episode, that everything included previous miscellaneous spending that had been uh, made trendy by giving this label. And, and what about the, um, the role of new media, um, technology and the rise of the internet? What impact did that have? Well, that that played a, a, a considerable role in, in this for some of us, I think, because the answer to the question, where did the people who believed they were fighting towards cultural democracy go, is, I think, in part answered by the arrival of the internet, in the not the internet, the arrival of the World Wide Web in the early 90s. At the time, when it first became public, when it first became public, uh, popular in a, in a very uh, early sense, it seemed like it was going to be a new democratic medium. People like John Perry Barlow were saying that the internet will root round anything, that the internet will never be controlled by states, because any time a state blocks it, the signals will be simply rooted round that state. And For some of us, it seemed like perhaps this is going to be a new popular medium which will enable us to root round the Arts Council of Great Britain. And many of the groups we were working with were asking about it and were looking at early attempts to make websites. And the Gulbenkian Foundation uh, commissioned me to write a book called Digital Creativity that looked at all the new possibilities that artists and cultural activists could find in the internet. And I think, for me personally, I then went away and spent several years, ten years maybe, uh, working with the internet, working with the World Wide Web, exploring its possibilities as ways of bringing communities together and so on. So I think some people from that tendency within the community arts movement went online and for a time experimented, and for a short time during that experimentation, really believed that we may have found that by accident, technology had solved all the problems that we couldn't. Sadly, I think that turned out to be far from true, 
it solved some problems, but it gave us a lot more. But other people, I believe, did start the idea of cultural democracy rolling again. And that was somewhere around the mid-90s, wasn't it, Sophie? Um, yeah, I mean, again, I think one of the maybe one of the caveats to this to our conversations is that we're we're kind of latching on to in some senses where and when and how people have used the term cultural democracy but of course people that cultural democracy is bubbling away in all sorts of ways um without being labeled cultural democracy but in my research looking at some of the histories of cultural democracy I found a reference in a publication called Art with People um, that was published by AN, Artist Newsletter Publications, in 1995. And mm-hmm. that was edited by Malcolm Dixon. And in that, um, it's, a, it's a really interesting kind of... There's, there's aspects of it looking back at the history of, the, of, um, of community art and, uh, in the UK, and which, is, which was really useful and helpful for me. Um, and in this, there's a um, there's a piece by um, uh, <laughs> Sally Morgan. Sorry. Yes, uh, but sorry, um, yeah, Sally Morgan. And in that, she um, she refers to cultural democracy and a kind of. Uh, and it suggests I think a, a revival of cultural democracy so this was one of the kind of first um, for me at least looking back at it this was uh, it already in like the mid 2000s looking looking back at those histories that's where I found it referenced by name cultural democracy um, and then of course much later another reference in 2004 the cultural policy collective um, which is a Scottish collective, wrote Beyond Social Inclusion Towards Cultural Democracy. And by then there's a, um, a kind of backlash against the um, policies of new labour in the in the arts. And this was, um, for me, a really welcome critique that was coming from the left rather than a, a kind of um, a call for, for art to be left alone by politics and a kind of a call for to retaining the autonomy of art. This was coming at it from a more left-wing perspective. Can I read a small section from, from that uh, book, the Cultural Policy Collective's work? Yes, please. Because yeah. it struck me... Uh, well, because it struck me that um, it's, it was very interesting. Let me just quote a small part of it. Cultural democracy refers to a set of political arguments addressing inequalities in cultural provision and challenging the destructive influence of the marketplace. Although never aligned to a particular party, it has informed grassroots arts projects and radical approaches to cultural democracy. It emphasises the importance of reflective knowledge and meaningful communication for a healthy polity. As we argue, cultural democracy is best defined by political arguments addressing inequalities in cultural provision and calling into question the rule of the marketplace in our daily lives. Our arguments for cultural democracy focus on the right to public space as an arena of autonomous cultural development and democratic expression. I think, I think that's interesting in several ways. Firstly, it's interesting in its own right. And secondly, it's interesting how much of that... 
carries on from the kind of statements that community artists, some community artists, were making in the 1980s. So whether or not the Cultural Policy Collective in Scotland knew about the work in the 80s, Mm. Nonetheless, it, there seemed to be a direct link from, from the kind of positions being put forward by community artists and the kind of positions being put forward here. Yeah, abs- I mean, absolutely they were influenced, I think, by, by the work and discussions from the 80s um, because they have a section in that, in that pamphlet about the histories, which is where I found out about your work and <laughs> other people's. So, um, so, yeah, I think they are acknowledging the history of that and a kind of um and calling it back and also i think it's interesting because it it for me it really relates to the current um more recent resurgence and interest in the politics of cultural democracy and then cultural democracy as a kind of a socialist political movement um by the movement for cultural democracy these these feel you know they're, they're kind of wearing their politics on their sleeve um the um uh, yeah, so I think those you know, those kind of moments. I mean, these are te- these are already ten years apart, aren't they? Ninety five to two thousand and four, and then um, so I'm sure there's loads of stuff and discussion happening in between, and there'll be reference to cultural democracy that I haven't picked up on. Um, but when I started my, I just just as a as a personal anecdote, I started my PhD in two thousand and six, and I hadn't. Certainly, at that time, in my kind of mini world in in the UK, exploring histories of community art and socially engaged art, I hadn't come across in my education this term cultural democracy, which is crazy because it's so related to the theories and and um, histories and practices of socially engaged art. Um, so when I came across it through um, Sally Morgan's work and the Cultural Policy Collective's work. I was very excited um, and I was like how the hell have I you know managed to get so far without uh, knowing about this history um, which is really shocking because I have had a you know a, my education has been mainly in, in the arts um, so so my PhD became partly about exploring some of those histories and theories of cultural democracy um, which I finished in 2010 and by even by then I, there wasn't really much going on that I was aware of in terms of other people interested in this term but then since then um, there have been other initiatives um, such as the text that we explored early on that was written by 64 million artists who were uh, commissioned by the Arts Council to write about um, uh, to write about cultural democracy and also the King's, uh, King's College report towards cultural democracy, promoting cultural capabilities for everyone, which was published in 2017. Um, and there's also the, um, I must mention as well, this huge AHRC project, Understanding Everyday Participation. That's the um, Arts and Humanities Research Council funded um, research project into everyday participation, which I think they don't necessarily, I don't know if they're necessarily kind of tackling cultural democracy directly but it's certainly under under undercurrent of their research and and an area of of interest I think and that's been running from 2012 to to, to 2017 and then of course as I mentioned then there's this movement for cultural democracy which is um, 
which is what we're kind of connected to as well, um, which is, a, 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 I guess, a more kind of grassroots political kind of campaign to bring cultural democracy back to the table and try and influence particularly um, Labour's cultural policy plans. Oh, and have you got other suggestions or... Well, I was just going to go back for a second. Yeah, sure. Because um, the report in 2017 towards cultural democracy, promoting cultural capabilities for everyone, yeah. also makes some interesting points. It's less... Uh, I was going to say it's less theoretical, but that's not true. It's written in a less theoretical style than the uh, Scottish paper... But this one says, for example, on page three of Towards Cultural Democracy, it says, it describes cultural democracy as when people have the substantive social freedom to make versions of culture. And it says, imagine a world in which opportunities to try a wide range of cultural and creative activities are available to all young people. Imagine, too, that within each neighbourhood there are opportunities for young people to make their own culture to have access to materials, time, space and support if they want it, to build things, draw things, write things, sing things, dance things and invent things. Now imagine that these opportunities to try a wide range of cultural and creative opportunities with easy access to information, materials, time, space, advice and support do not come to an end at the age of 18. And I think that draws a very clear practical picture of what many people who believe in cultural democracy would envisage as a end state or a, an almost an end state so I think that's worth pointing out that it's, it's not just about policy and it's not just about examples of groups working up against the, against the tide as it were in order, to, in order to try and do something a bit democratically it's about a, a landscape in which that stuff happens naturally and is taken seriously in a playful way. But but before I... I think that's all I need to say about that. And that, I, that was just a quick reflection based on what you were saying. But tell me more about the movement for cultural democracy, which began, I believe, last year in 2017. Yeah. Um, also, can I just go... Sorry, going back to the King's report, um, and, and this is something we picked up with the Arts Council report as well, is the um, it, I think what we need to do at some point as well collectively is to draw out the similarities and differences between these different approaches and, and statements of cultural democracy because um, for me the movement for cultural democracy and the previous um, uh, the pamphlet cultural policy, the cultural policy collective pamphlet are in a way uh, as I was saying, like you know, wearing the politics on their sleeve, and um, yes, it's not just about policy, but it's it's about the the idea of reclaiming, and in a very Marxist sense, I guess, owning the means of production. So it's not just about access to information, materials, time, space, advice, and support. It's actually thinking how do we collectively own that <laughs> those platforms of information, material, time, and space, um, and I think the movement for cultural democracy kind of goes some way to explore ways in which these um, uh, these resources and um, uh, yeah and, and kind of uh, spaces can be 
can be co-owned in some way. Um, so they, um, the, the Movement for Cultural Democracy is a, is a growing group of individuals and organisations who are sort of signing up, I guess, to this, what they call a radical um, project for cultural, of cultural democracy. Um, and they've written a manifesto which came out of a big discussion during the World Transformed Festival in 2017 in Brighton. And um, then, as I think we've mentioned in a previous episode, that was continued in the World Transformed Festival this year in Liverpool. Um, so it's kind of come out of... The World Transformed has come out of a uh, of momentum, the sort of left-wing branch of the Labour Party. Um, and, uh, yeah, and so just to kind of read from the manifesto blurb at the very beginning of the Movement for Cultural Democracy website culturaldemocracy.uk um, they say that or we say, because I've been part of this a strong democracy is an inclusive democracy it's a society where no one is invisible and everyone, every voice is heard culture as it has been can be the preserve of the privileged few or instead it can be the building block that strengthens our democracy celebrated as a basic human right helping to create a world where all people are free to enjoy the benefits of self-expression access to resources and community our goal is to ensure that in our time it's the latter that prevails and that this transformative value of culture for all by all comes to permeate all corners of our social lives and political institutions. And then it goes on to list the ten-point manifesto of how to potentially go about that. Well, that's interesting. And again, that that could, if you do, that could have been read from the 1986 manifesto or at least it could have been one of the a set of phrases a set of paragraphs that could have been included in the 1986 manifesto so although the ideas may be expressed in different ways they seem to be following a continuous line of thought following a continuous line of of belief and i find that interesting yeah yeah and in fact, one of the things, in fact, in fact, not one of the things, in fact, the way you and I met in person for the first time was at uh, the book launch for Alison Jeffer and Jenny, Jerry Moriarty's book, which looks back at the history of community arts and looks and raises a lot of these issues in an interesting historical way. And I think we can see quite a lot of these ideas threading their way through from the late 1970s, maybe even the late 1960s, through to now. And I think it's not just that we could do with a, a look at the way cultural democracy has been defined and labelled. In fact, we could produce a, a book called Definitions of Cultural Democracy, Greatest Hits. But not just that, but also... The whole notion of moving... Oh, I've lost my thread now completely. <laughs> Maybe we could say a little bit about the book, um, cultural. It, the, the book that we're talking about is called Culture, Democracy and the Right to Make Art, the British Community Arts Movement that's edited by Alison Jeffers and Jerry Moriarty that came out this year. Um, and is also now... Uh, available in paperback and also I think you can download online which is great um so the and in that book there are um, a number of articles by different people who who were kind of drawing on particular histories of community art in the UK um 
and also experiences and, and understandings of cultural democracy. Um, so in the blurb for the book they say that it's not simply a history because the legacy and influence of the community arts movement can be seen in a huge range of diverse locations today anyone who has ever encountered a community festival or educational project in a gallery or museum or visited a local arts centre could be said to be part of the ongoing story of of the community arts and I think for me again this is a welcome um, intervention because something that I've found in as a teacher now and when, and, and researcher and practitioner there's this um, uh, there is a sort of amnesia around um, histories of community arts it's, you know it's, it's become a dirty word it already was a potentially a dirty word in the 80s when you were <laughs> writing your uh, community art on the state book Owen um, and so it's not you know on the curriculum it's it's sort of buried in the um, uh, under people's beds and attics and you know is not something people admit to being part of or interested in so I think you know it's it's so time so timely and and really important that these nuanced histories and stories of community arts and activism are retold in different ways so I'm yeah I was really excited and pleased to be part of part of this that project personally Um, I agree I I agree I think it was an interesting and important publication and I think that it uh it brings together, as, as you were just saying, it brings together a series of stories that uh, are either completely buried or not seen as part of the same, the same woven tapestry. And I think it, brings, it creates a tapestry out of a number of people's different, different stories. And I think that serves a very useful purpose. I was also thinking that... Um, it would be interesting, it would be an interesting idea, whether anybody ever actually does it or not, to try and produce a book that takes the history of cultural democracy, the ideas of cultural democracy, not just in England, not just in Australia or America, but in all of these places and places like India and places in Europe, and puts together a history that shows what cultural democracy looks like from different times and from different places. Because I think also that's buried. We talk about cultural democracy, if we talk about it at all, as an imaginary end goal for a long struggle in which people gain the ability to access the means of cultural production. But we don't often see that described in practice except as a way a way of describing something else you know they were community artists but they're interested in cultural democracy or they were fine artists but they're interested in cultural democracy it would be interesting to write a book that foregrounds that and says effectively they were fighting for cultural democracy but they were also fine artists etc and see if we can draw together a narrative that makes sense of the fact that this thing has gone on for maybe even 50 years as a movement without ever necessarily realising its own history or its own geographical spread. I think we lose a lot of our potential power if we don't understand our history 
and lose a lot of our potential power if we don't understand where to find our allies at the present moment. And I think when we work in opposition the whole time, we're fighting against the Arts Council, we're fighting against so-and-so, we're fighting against so-and-so. When we do that, we see ourselves as peripheral to the main actors who are the people we're opposing. But I think there's another story to be told in which we and the people that came before us and the people around us in India and Australia are Mm. the main story, the main characters in that story. And I'd be interested in seeing that told. And I suppose, in a sense, that's Mm. one of the things we're trying to do with this series of podcasts, in a small way. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. Yeah, that that is is an ongoing project. and I think, yeah, like we were saying before, it's not necessarily going to be labelled cultural democracy or a movement for cultural democracy, but um, but it's kind of finding the, uh, yeah, I guess the sort of politics of how people work and, um, and sharing those in different moments in time and history um, and looking outside of our own blinkered sort of experiences of, of funded culture in the UK. It's really important. Indeed. Indeed. And I think one of the things is, if we did call it cultural democracy, if sometimes we did say, let's draw together everything we can think of that we might call cultural democracy, we might find we've got a bigger and more influential narrative than we are led to believe. But anyway, is that a good point to stop for this episode, Sophie? Yes, let's do that. Yeah, thank you, Owen. Um, We will end there. We will indeed. And we'll see you all very soon. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye-bye.